Hello everyone and welcome back to Media Pit. So today we're talking about the first season of The Invincible Show that was created by Skybound Entertainment and was released in early 2021. It's an animated superhero show based on the comic series by the same name. Um, and disclaimer, I've never read any of the Invincible comics, so I can't say anything on faithfulness to the source material or anything in that vein. Also, understand that my assessment of this show's quality will only rely on the actual content of the first season and will not include any extra knowledge from the comics. I saw the first season about one year after its release and I heard some great things about it from critics and friends as well. So I always kept it on my radar and then I finally watched it in a total of three days. So yeah, let's get straight into it and talk about Invincible. Looking at the premise, um, this show takes place in a world of superheroes with multi-dimensional space conflict, aliens and all that stuff. And we experience all that through the perspective of Mark Grayson, a 17-year-old boy who lives with his normal loving mom and his superhero dad named Omni-Man or Nolan Grayson. And in the first episode, Mark gets his superpowers um, that he inherited from his dad, who by the way is the most powerful being on planet Earth. And throughout this first season, he comes to learn how to be a superhero and yeah, how to act, how to do all that good stuff, how to save people and go on missions. It's kind of an origin story in that sense. And he soon gets introduced to all the other superheroes on Earth and starts working with them to defeat many different criminals, robots and aliens. Meanwhile, he also struggles between his superhero life and his personal responsibilities in terms of friends, girlfriend, etc. And that's basically the premise. Pretty basic superhero stuff, right? So, let's go through every episode and highlight certain things that I want to talk about. And at the end, I will sum up the show as a whole, what I think it does well, and what I think it does poorly. The first episode starts with two random guards at the White House, just talking about personal stuff. And then out of nowhere, there's a mini earthquake, and two giant bald blue dudes with guns come out of the ground. And they start attacking the White House, because they want to kill the president or something. But don't you worry, because the Guardians of the Globe come in to save the day. And while we're at it, this must be just a straight-up parody of the Justice League. You've got, like, War Woman, Martian Man, Red Rush, Darkwing, Aquarus. Like, come on, it's pretty obvious. But I actually quite like that they work with that level of awareness. And I think getting introduced to all these copycat heroes does a pretty good job of communicating to the audience that, in a strange way, this will not be a generic superhero show. I mean, taking a look at the meta, there's no way that that cast of characters could have been around for the entirety of the season. And I think most people are aware of that. So I think this is a pretty welcome way of satire, I guess? And so they have a big fight with these two blue guys, which are called the Mauler Twins. And they also save civilians in the process. You know, basic superhero stuff. And we also get introduced to Omni-Man, as he's helping the heroes. This first superhero fight sequence is actually pretty well done. We get a great idea of the heroes' different powers, and the action choreography isn't bad at all. And then we get introduced to the Grayson family. More precisely, Mark and his mother, casually talking about the current attack as it's being broadcasted on TV. This is a pretty nice way of establishing the frequency and the regularity at which such threats take place in this world. In this world, superheroes and supervillains are seen as just a normal thing that's clearly just part of everyday life. And then Omni-Man comes flying in from the garden and they talk about how Mark should be getting his powers soon, because at least for now, 
there has been no sign of them. I think it's pretty ridiculous that Omni-Man is supposed to have a secret identity and that no one notices that Nolan Grayson looks oddly similar to him. I'll get back to that, but for now, we get a glimpse of Mark's school life. We are introduced to his gay best friend, William, they talk about the attack in the White House, and then a guy who looks like your typical high school bully schmuck harasses and creeps up on a girl named Amber. Mark doesn't like that and steps in, and he gets his ass beat. But Amber thanks him for standing up for her. So then Mark is at his job, taking out the trash, and he accidentally throws one of the trash bags like 5,000 feet up in the air, which means his powers have kicked in. Awesome. So then we are at the dinner table and Mark and his mother Debbie talk a bit, and then there's this one little detail that I really appreciate. Nolan, aka Omniman, speeds in from the side and he apologizes for being late. And at the moment he speeds in, the wine glass of Debbie almost tips over, but she very casually catches it, without even looking or being surprised. It's a pretty cool and subtle way to show the casual nature of such a dinner situation for this family. You can tell how used Mark's mom is to that whole superhero thing. And I love subtle details like that, especially if they tell you something relevant about the characters or the story. And then Mark tells them about discovering his powers, and Nolan says that they will train tomorrow. And then we get a flashback to when Mark was a little kid, sitting on the roof of the house with his father. And then Nolan tells him about his home planet, Veltrum, and how he took the role of the protector of Earth, and then met Debbie, and then made Mark. He also tells him that when he'll go through puberty, he will be getting superpowers, because Mark is half Veltrumite. And this is a part that is clearly necessary in getting information across to the audience, but it feels so extremely exposition-y, and Nolan talks throughout the entire flashback. Kid Mark doesn't even react to anything he's told, which I found quite odd and unrealistic. This scene is not executed very well at all. I get why it has to be here, but they could have done a much better job. And at that point, I started to think to myself, hmm, the dialogue writing in this show doesn't seem to be that great. But that was just a thought for now. Moving on. Mark lays awake in bed, and since he can't wait to try out his new powers, he decides to go on top of the roof and try using his flying abilities. And it works. Now, while he's stepping out of the window onto the roof, he talks to himself, saying things like, it's fine, it'll work, I can fly, but what if I can't? Screw it, and stuff. And that's just bad. I'm sorry, but it's highly unnatural and just a cheap way of delivering his feelings and doubts about if he'll be able to fly. Like, what about visual storytelling? You know, the whole show-don't-tell thing? It's pretty good general advice. They could have just shown different reactions and facial expressions of Mark, without having him say a single word. That would have been way more convincing and natural. So he flies around a bit, gets ahead of himself, and crashes back down into the garden. I have to say that the music in this short sequence is pretty freaking cool. I really like it. So the next morning, they have their training session, and it's just some punching and flying. Mark gets a little used to it, but Nolan pushes him pretty far. And back home, Mark is upset and silently goes up into his room. And so Debbie asks Nolan if he maybe pushed him too far. And then, out of fucking nowhere, Nolan gets super pissed and says, Are you questioning me? Like, dude, calm the fuck down. Kind of an unjustified reaction, I think. Although we obviously know what Nolan is thinking right now. He needs to enact his plan of killing the Guardians of the Globe and all that, which of course messes with his mind. 
because he's reminded of his true end goal, which obviously is very cruel and probably has him be very stressed about it. So yeah. Back in school, Mark comes across that douche again and they start to get into a hassle. And Mark tells the guy to hit him. And so he does. And Mark tells him to go on, which after hitting him again and again, with Mark not moving an inch, eventually the guy just leaves. Which, by the way, nice job Mark. I was pretty worried that Mark would just abuse his powers right here to destroy the guy and humiliate him, but he rejected violence, which is very responsible and respectful I must say. We then get our first introduction to Titan during a fight between him and Mark. Omni-Man picks him up after the fight, and they meet a good friend of Omni-Man, Art Rosenbaum, who is the guy that makes all the super suits for the superheroes. And he talks to Mark to see what kind of costume he wants, you know, and all that, and yeah. Then there's a scene between Mark and his mother at night, where they have kind of a heart-to-heart -heart talk. I like this scene in concept, because it's about Debbie's feelings towards losing her son, that now is becoming a superhero, just like her husband, making her feel a bit of an outsider. However, in execution, it's not good at all. It's way too straightforward, and there's no actual conflict that arises out of Debbie voicing her worries to Mark, because he immediately calms her down, they hug each other, and everything's fine. The dialogue feels very artificial, and it doesn't seem right to have this emotional and personal talk between those two in the very first episode. This scene tries to be impactful, I think, but at this point, we've spent maybe 20 to 30 minutes with these characters. This talk could have easily been placed in one of the later episodes, maybe like the third or fourth episode, and it would have resonated much more with me. However, without all that, as it stands, I believe this scene only serves to establish the loving relationship between Mark and his mother, and how deep and personal their connection is compared to the father and son relationship that Mark has with Nolan. But on a character slash emotional level, it doesn't hit at all. But that's not only because it happens too early, but also because it's the exact opposite of subtle. Debbie outright states what she thinks and how she feels. Same with Mark. And their entire interaction and the way they talk isn't well written. Again, the dialogue writing feels highly artificial. And then we get another great action scene. Mark now has his final superhero costume and he flies around the city. And there's like a... Robocop type bad guy destroying a building. So Mark rushes in and beats the crap out of him. And then the bad guy asks him who he is. And Mark says, I'm... And then it very awkwardly cuts to the show's logo with the bright yellow text Invincible. And I think this is done very poorly. Throughout the entire show, every time this intro title scene is shown, it's always combined with a character saying a sentence that ends with the word Invincible. But as they're about to say it, it cuts to the title card. And I think the way they pulled it off here is just not very good. It doesn't work for me at all. I'm very curious if you feel the same way, because I think the execution is truly garbage. The idea is fine. I actually think it's a pretty cool idea. But the way they pulled it off didn't work for me at all. And now we get to the ending scene of the first episode. <laughs> Which is the best part, for obvious reasons. Omni-Man secretly sends all the Guardians of the Globe to their headquarters, and as they all meet there, wondering about who sent them, Omni-Man just charges in and starts brutally ripping them apart one by one. This scene works incredibly well. The complete lack of music after Red Rush's death, the visceral, fleshy and bloody sounds of the fighting is super effective. The sound design in this scene really shines. 
Plus, the gory imagery and the fight choreography is just awesome. The way the gore is incorporated into the different abilities of the Guardians is very clever. I really like the fact how they try everything in their power to stop Omni-Man, and he does struggle with them a fair bit because they work together as a team, but in the end, it simply wasn't enough to save them. I was shocked when I saw that. And before watching the show, I obviously knew that it was R-rated and how gory it was, but I gotta say, this first episode really tricked me into thinking that this would be a very generic superhero show, but with gore. Which isn't entirely wrong, honestly, and I'll get to why later, but all the choices in terms of presentation in this final fight sequence are just excellent, and it totally changed my attitude towards the show going forward. Oh, and that hard cut to black after Omni-Man falls unconscious, surrounded by all the blood, intestines, and corpses of the Guardians is just so damn cool. I am a true sucker for a well-done cut to black, and this is a great example of how to do it right. And as the credits were rolling, I had so many questions about what was happening. This is an excellent way of creating suspense within the viewer, and I'm sure it worked for so many people. Man, talk about subverting the audience's expectations. Everything in this last sequence is pretty fantastic, honestly. It might be my favorite scene in the entire show, actually. And even though it only lasts for about 4 minutes, it makes this episode so much better. So I'm going to cover the next episodes a bit more condensed, focusing on the very relevant positives and negatives. So the next episode starts by the GDA at the crime scene, collecting the corpses of the Guardians. And Mark and Debbie get contacted and enter the secret underground facility of the GDA. And Cecil shows them around. They see Nolan still unconscious in a hospital bed, and Cecil tells them a bit more about what they're going to do now in terms of investigation. And then Mark goes flying around the city and sees that there's this weird portal with green alien soldiers coming out of it and just shooting everything. So he decides to check it out, obviously. They're called the Flaxons, and here we are introduced to the members of Teen Team. So Adam Eve, Robot, Rexplode, and Duplicate. And this first fight with the Flaxons is fine. Compared to all the other fights in the season, it's not that engaging or interesting, but seeing their different abilities is great. And this fight mostly functions as an introduction to these four anyways. And Mark tries to help, but he's not really prepared and doesn't have the necessary experience. So he tries to help an old lady to get her to the GDA hospital. Going back to the fight between Teen Team and the Flaxons, I think it's super contrived that at the exact moment when they are about to kill all four of them, they start aging like crazy and leave instantly. If the Flaxons only had half a minute more, they would have destroyed all of them. And to me personally, this part also wasn't all that tension-filled or suspenseful, because it was fairly obvious that these characters wouldn't be killed by these stupid green goblin guys. And the explanation they give for this is that time on Earth passes way faster compared to their planet, which means that they only can exist on Earth for a very short time frame, or else they will just all age to nothing. I don't think that checks out in terms of rules of space-time, because how is only their age affected by that? Also, the fact that they suddenly just start to grow old and fall unconscious just like that, without any hint of them aging before that point, is kinda stupid. I mean, I don't know how these aliens age, maybe they are perfectly fit and don't age at all until they hit like 80 and then they immediately fall apart, I guess that could be the case, otherwise that would be pretty dumb. And even in that case it would be pretty stupid. 
And the next day, we get a conversation between Mark and Adam Eve, because Mark recognizes her being a student in his school. So he approaches her and they talk about the fight. And Adam Eve talks a bit about how being a superhero works, and she introduces him to her team in their headquarters. And in between, we also get introduced to Damien Darkblood, the red demon detective from Hell, who I think is an awesome character. He's a very fun addition to all these other unique characters. We also get our first hints at school that Amber might be interested in Mark. And then, two days later, these fucking Flaxons attack the city again, at the exact same spot as before. And this is pretty ridiculous. During the first attack, over 300 citizens were killed. I find it a bit ridiculous that the GDA, or anyone else, didn't make sure to secure the area and close off this part of the city entirely. It's two days later, and there are already cars on the streets and people walking around. Are these people the biggest idiots on earth? Two days after a tragic, giant alien attack, they just decide to go out again? And to the exact spot where all these people died? You can't tell me that isn't incredibly stupid. Plus, how is no other superhero team helping them out? They are only five, and these fuckers are responsible for hundreds of dead civilians. I really can't get behind that. Maybe they're all busy fighting other threats? No idea. And these dudes again start blowing up citizens, buildings and cars. And the teen team plus Mark start fighting them. And this time, all of them are wearing an Apple Watch that somehow stops their rapid aging while they're on Earth. <laughs> okay. The second fight also isn't that great. The only real difference is that Mark is now fighting with them, and the Flaxons have more tanks and bigger laser guns and shit. And again, Teen Team is almost going to die, but then Mark gets some Viltrumite adrenaline rush and destroys them and their Apple Watches together with Teen Team. So the Flaxons flee again through their portal. It's pretty much the exact same way the first fight went two days ago. And afterwards, we get some family time between Nolan, Mark and Debbie in the GDA hospital. And Mark unfortunately finds out that the old lady he rescued from the Flaxons invasion died. Sad. And then we get to the space fight between Mark and that Cyclops dude, where they like communicate telepathically, somehow. One thing about that fight I find pretty weird is Mark needs to hold his breath the entire time he's in space while fighting this dude, and he easily manages to hold his breath for super long, even while he's getting punched by the Cyclops guy. I think his name is Alan. And they also talk afterwards, so I'm pretty sure Mark spent at minimum 30 minutes in space holding his breath, without any practice beforehand. Like, what about his progression in learning how to fly? Why does he need to only practice some of his abilities, and the others just seem to be already perfectly developed from the get-go? Although, I must say, their conversation afterwards is pretty humorous, with Alan falsely traveling to Earth and stuff. I kinda like that. And then, we get a third fucking attack of the Flaxons. And again, why in the absolute heck are there still people walking around and cars on the streets? And Robot also predicts that the city will be lost, so he suggests to fucking nuke it. Dude, if anyone actually cared about preparing for another attack, that was obviously going to happen, you could have easily just done some precautions to minimize collateral damage. What was everyone doing? Did no one care about these alien green guys that tried to invade Earth two times in like four days? This is ridiculous. And 
The Flaxons are just the worst villains slash threat in the entire season. They have no character, they're extremely boring, and they give me very strong Attack of the Clone vibes. And their action scenes also do not offer a lot of great fighting animations, because they're just a bunch of goons running around with laser guns. So Teen Teen jumps in to fight the army of Flaxons, but they get wrecked. And again, Mark is about to be killed by that guy in the giant robot suit, but again, right before that, Omni-Man comes in and completely destroys the entire army of Flaxons in a few seconds, which for me personally was very satisfying to see. And then we get a pretty great final sequence of Omni-Man flying into the portal of the Flaxons, and then while he's on their home planet, Outright commits a genocide on them, which was pretty dark, but also very satisfying to witness. Because these guys are truly the most awful and horrible villains of the entire season. And I also like the red color grading of the scene. And this scene gives us some additional hints at Omni-Man's dark side. So yeah, this episode is not that good I think. The action is not even close to the same level compared to the other episodes. And the Flexons are just very bad villains in general. They are super generic and the entire logistics behind their three attacks on the city are just so dumb. The best part, I think, is the fight and the conversation between Mark and Alan in space. And, of course, the final scene with Omni-Man completely obliterating the Flaxons' home planet. So, getting to episode 3. At the beginning of the third episode, we get the big funeral service for the Guardians of the Globe. And Omni-Man holds a speech in honor of them. And he later runs into Damien Darkblood, which gets him a bit suspicious on the fact that he might be under observation by the GDA. And we get our first flirty interaction between Mark and Amber on the phone, which I quite like honestly. I really enjoy their dynamic between the very confident Amber and Mark trying not to be the extremely awkward guy that he is. Afterwards, we get that well-known scene of Adam Eve catching Rex and Duplicate doing the cheating thing, obviously with three of Kate as well, and she gets very upset. Honestly, I find that scene a bit too edgy for the sake of edgy if you know what I mean. I don't know a lot about Duplicate as a character, but I think it's pretty weird that she would do that stuff with Rex. I just had a very different impression of her, I guess. And I don't think that this scene is funny at all. It's kind of just there. But yeah, let's move on. Now, we have the best part of the episode, which is the competition between all the big heroes to be picked for the new Guardians of the Globe team. We get some pretty nice fight scenes between some of the new heroes, which are then picked for the new Guardians team. And there's also that one pretty funny scene between Rex and Monster Girl, plus their small fight. We also get some pretty good character interactions between the newly picked Guardians trying to establish a team mentality, and it doesn't really work that well. It's a nice way to show us how each of them is thinking and how they behave. Pretty good stuff. And I also just enjoy conflict in general between people. It's kind of stupid if they just all seem to get along super well. And now we have the first date between Mark and Amber. It's a little awkward, mostly because of Mark, but then he needs to leave to fight Dr. Zeismik together with Adam Eve, and they have a big fight in the mountains. This Dr. Zeismik guy is such a ridiculous villain. His abilities are quite cool, and the fight he has with Mark and Eve is also pretty cool. Much better than anything concerning the Flaxons. But it's still just filler content. There's nothing that comes of this fight, and it only serves the purpose of Mark having to leave his date. And we get a conversation between Rex and Eve. He tries to apologize to her and asks her to take him back, but she doesn't, which I think is a great choice. 
I was quite worried that she would actually take him back, just because he did that little firework and dropped that honestly pretty half-assed apology. And then we get the final big scene of the Mauler twins being in a super prison of the GDA and breaking out of the facility. And one very stupid thing I just have to mention is when a group of armed guards shoot at them with machine guns, they shield themselves with some piece they tore from a wall. And first of all, all the bullets can't go through that shield. And second, the fucking shield only covers their upper bodies. Their legs are completely unprotected. The only thing these guards must have done is aim a little lower at their legs as they were moving forward and they wouldn't have broken free. And even seconds afterwards, there are many opportunities for the guards to just straight up shoot the twins, but they don't shoot them, they just run away. You can see it on screen if you're watching the YouTube version. It's pretty contrived. These guards are comedically stupid. And then, when the twins exit the prison and get outside, there's that one huge automatic laser gun, like a turret, and the original of the twins kicks the clone in the back so it gets shot by the gun. And he starts charging towards the gun using the clone as a body shield. And he very conveniently doesn't get hit by any of the many, many laser blasts the gun fires at him. Another thing is that the body of the clone takes many of the laser blasts, but the same laser blasts seconds previously easily went through the clone's body. So as soon as the body functions as a shield, it can suddenly block the laser shots? Stupid. So there are two or even three ways this breakout scene realistically just falls apart. The final scene of this episode is really well done. Debbie is talking to Damien Darkblood and he gives her some small hints about Omni-Man and the Guardians and that things might not be as they seem. And then Nolan comes in, turns on the light and Damien is just gone. Debbie goes to bed but Nolan still stands in the living room for a few moments and then he exhales and realizes the cold air around him. And so he realizes Damien's presence. And why do I like this scene? Well, because it's subtle. Every time the show decides to convey something without the characters straight up telling someone else or themselves what's going on and what they feel and think, the show does a pretty good job. I think this episode is actually quite good. There's a lot of great action and the interactions between the superhero characters and also Mark's and Amber's first date. And yes, Dr. Seismic is a stupid filler villain, but at least this fight scene is pretty enjoyable. And I actually enjoy how crazy he is. In some way. <laughs> Episode 4. So in this one, we get a lot of character development. Mark and Nolan fly to Mount Everest and talk about Nolan's past. Debbie is starting to grow a bit suspicious of the death of the Guardians, especially because of the detective work of Damien Darkblood. And Mark spends more time with Amber. The original Mauler twin creates a new clone for himself in some abandoned place. And Damien Darkblood continues his investigations on Omni-Man, which I don't know why, but I really like all of his scenes. He's just very cool. And there's that whole Mars mission where Mark needs to make sure that the astronauts are safe, which makes up the bulk of the episode. So the astronauts get lost because he doesn't pay attention, idiot. And so he starts looking for them in this weird cave where he gets caught by the Martians who have captured the astronauts. And they bring him to the Martian King, which I really like that one small moment where Mark doesn't know how to behave in front of the King. And it makes for a pretty funny scene in my opinion. And then they get into a tense situation and Mark saves the astronauts, gets them back to the ship and they leave the planet. And aside from that one pretty funny moment, this whole subplot is very dumb. The Martians are also pretty generic. They're not as bad as the Flaxons, but they don't add anything to the story. 
The only thing this entire Mars mission accomplishes is that Mark is gaining more superhero experience and that this one alien disguised as one of the astronauts is now on Earth. I guess that will be brought up in the upcoming season, maybe, most likely. And we get some more stuff between Amber and Mark, which I really like. And then, unfortunately at the end, Damien Darkblood gets banished back into hell, which I was pretty bummed out about, because he was very mysterious and had a great presence to him. This episode isn't that great. The only thing I like about it is Mark and Amber spending time together and their relationship developing. But the rest, aside from the few Damien Darkblood scenes, is just not that relevant or engaging. Aside from everything concerning Debbie and her growing suspicions about Nolan, since I was very invested in her as a character, but then again, the later episodes focus on that even more. So yeah, episode 5. This episode is pretty freaking good. We get some great insight into Titan's character and his personal life. I like his behavior towards innocent people that have nothing to do with his job and who are still getting affected by his actions. He's a pretty nice guy, and he's also a father that loves his family. However, there's that one very strange part of the scene when we first meet his daughter and his wife or girlfriend. He sneaks into the apartment from the balcony, and then we see the daughter watching TV. And at that point, it's pretty obvious that this is his family. But for some reason, the show decides to add some tense music right before he's about to go up to his daughter and hug her. I'm pretty sure no one who watched this scene was thinking that he was about to assassinate the kid or something. It was super evident that this was his family. Why did they even try to make us think that he was going to do something bad to her? Pretty misplaced in my eyes. And we also get some tension in Mark's and Amber's relationship because he's always late and can't be a good boyfriend to her, which obviously makes her pretty upset. And we also meet Adam Eve's pathetic parents that she absolutely resents and despises. I don't have any strong feelings about that part, but we do get some information for her character, which is surely appreciated. The central plot of this episode revolves around Invincible and Titan meeting each other and working together to defeat the crime lord Machine Head, which I really like. All of Machine Head's scenes are pretty entertaining, because of his awesome autotune voice, and just his demeanor in general. All the interactions between Titan and Invincible are also great, their dynamic is highly engaging, and Mark is growing a ton out of this mission, especially in terms of caring about smaller issues in the world, not always some continent or planet level threat. And this is also shown in the dinner scene, where Nolan tells Mark that he shouldn't waste his time with that low-level stuff, and Debbie supports Mark in helping Titan which is great, and it gives us some more insight into Nolan's worldviews, in opposition to Mark's and Debbie's. And Debbie is also growing her suspicions about Nolan having killed the Guardians, which I really enjoy. I think her entire aspect of the story is extremely relevant and valuable, because of the emotional and personal impact this has on her, because, obviously, she loves Nolan. This is one of the show's aspects I resonated with the most, because Debbie is a great and virtuous mother, so I was very interested in seeing how she would handle the horrifying reveal at the end. We also get some friendship development between Eve and Amber, and I also like that, because I just like both of their characters, and seeing them get along and talking is pretty cool. And then there's the best part of the episode, the final fight in Machine Head's office. It is very good. There are so many different villains and heroes fighting with each other, and I love how they get completely beat up by the goons. The fight is very balanced overall, except for this one lion furry warrior, who's just super strong for some reason. And this fight lasts super long as well. It's very fun to watch. 
And there's also that one short part where we see Omni-Man hovering above the building, watching Mark getting completely beat up, not helping. And this further gives us some insight into his psyche. This fight is truly great, especially when the new Guardians of the Globe come to help Titan and Mark, and I was very surprised when they did that one team maneuver. That was pretty dope. And we have the final scene of Titan taking over Machine Head's crime empire, which is great simply for the fact that we will be seeing more of him in the future seasons, which is awesome, because he's a very cool character. So, episode 6. I think pretty much everyone agrees that this is the worst episode, I think. There's not a lot of relevant stuff happening, and the only development we really get is between Amber and Mark, and William and his boyfriend. The episode almost exclusively focuses on their trip to this college, which I must say is kinda boring, except for Amber and Mark spending time together. The thing is, I like the secondary stuff that the episode covers sort of on the side, like Debbie talking with Art about Nolan and the incident, and Eve leaving her parents to find her life purpose, helping people on her own, is much more interesting than the central aspect of the episode. That scene in the college, when they listen to that lecture and that weirdo Mr. Sinclair goes on his whole spew about perfecting the human species and going up to William's boyfriend Rick, calling him a typical alpha male and all that. I don't know, that scene was kind of meh. And then we of course get the first fight between Mark and that human cyborg thing, which is super strong for some reason. I don't think this fight is particularly great. It's also very short. However, I do like that it shows how Amber handles such a dangerous situation and how courageous and selfless she acts in such a scenario. And of course we also get the development of William now knowing that Mark is invincible. But we also get some serious conflict between Mark and Amber, because she's pretty upset that Mark just seemed to have ran away from the threat and left them there. Of course we know that she already knows about Mark being invincible, but she tries to challenge him for not telling her that before. It's still pretty stupid and unjustified in my opinion, but I will touch on that a bit more when we get to talking about the individual characters specifically. So yeah, Amber is pretty upset with Mark and doesn't want to speak to him for now. And then William's boyfriend Rick is kidnapped by this maniac villain, Dr. or Mr. Dr. Mr. Sinclair, whatever. And he transforms him into one of these cyber creatures. So he's responsible for that first one going crazy on campus. The guy also gets a hold of William as well, and Mark needs to save him. And this final confrontation with some more of these cyborgs and William and Rick also isn't very good. The way they defeat Mr. Sinclair and his cyborgs is super cliche. William just yells at Rick to, you know, remember the past and all that, uh, la la la. And oh, he's not a killing machine, he's a very nice man and stuff. And so, Rick destroys that chip at the back of his head and helps Mark destroy the other cyborgs and fixates Sinclair. And that's it. Pretty mediocre. Not very climactic or high stakes or anything really. I dislike everything regarding Mr. Sinclair and his stupid cyborgs. At least in this episode. The only other nice thing about this episode is Robot giving his all to try and save Monster Girl, because he deeply cares about her, which, like the other secondary stuff in this episode, is much more engaging than the main stuff, at least to me. Yeah, worst episode out of the first season. It's not like, bad? I'd say it's maybe a 5 out of 10? Just pretty mediocre in general. A lot of filler content, not that great action and stuff, 
and it doesn't contribute anything major to the central story. Episode 7. This episode is pretty freaking good. First of all, we get a great moment between Mark and Amber, when he finally tells her that he is invincible, but she already knows, and tells him about the actual reason why she's upset. And I get the reason why she's upset, subjectively. Mark didn't trust her, and wasn't ready to tell her about a secret identity, but if you were to look at it rationally, Mark really didn't do anything wrong. And I'll talk more on that in the character section, but for now, she has no good reason to be upset, let alone dump him for this. It's kinda ridiculous, and really changed my view on her character overall, which is unfortunate, because I did like her before. We also have a great bonding scene between the new Guardians of the Globe, welcoming Monster Girl after her recovery. This is a pretty cool scene, we get a lot of interactions between the characters, and they're having fun together. Pretty cool stuff. And there's that one very creepy scene of Robot having that programming error, which really got to me the first time. I felt pretty much the exact same way as the other Guardians. And we have that whole thing with Robot meeting up with the Mauler twins to create a new body for him, and then the real Robot in this walking fluid tank is shown for the first time. And all that might be very interesting, but the thing is, I personally find that entire thing to be pretty strange, and a rather negative development for Robot's character. But that's just a personal thing, I guess. I just really wanted his backstory to be something more compelling, in a sense, because this just gives him this new body, and then it's basically over with his secret that was teased in the first few episodes. But at least we get a pretty cool fight scene between Robot and the Mauler twins. Nolan is at the top of the mountain, practicing his speech to Mark, which is a great little character moment. And then there's the scene of Omni-Man completely massacring Cecil's soldiers and destroying their spy base. Omni-Man plus Gore is always a pretty good combination. Meanwhile, Robot shows up to the Guardian's base with his new body, and they all are obviously pretty weirded out by what he's telling them. Especially Rex is going completely crazy, which I really like. His reaction to this is the most entertaining and funny moment of his, because it's for sure the most understandable. I really felt for him. In all of his other scenes, he's just a straight up jerk. And he still is in this one, but here, there's actually a very good reason for it. And now comes the best part of the episode. C-Cell and the GDA trying to stop Nolan from reaching Mark. And there's this one line by C-Cell when Nolan destroys that huge satellite. 400 million dollars for the world's most expensive nosebleed. I think that's just a super cool line. C-Cell's pretty awesome in general. I really like him. And the talk between Eve and Mark is also very nice. I 100% side with Eve when he decides not to save lives and drop the whole superhero thing. I think that it's just incredibly stupid and immature on Mark's part. I'll talk more on that later. The back and forth between Cecil and Nolan is pretty great. Cecil's dialogue is actually very well written. And then we have these cyborg guys fighting Nolan. And I have no idea why these guys are so freaking resilient and strong. This Sinclair guy must have had access to some next level technology, because he amped up these humans from level 1 to like level 500 just through his technology. Two things to note about that. One, when Nolan kills these cyborg soldiers, he takes that flying camera of the GDA and sticks it into one of the cyborg corpses, making everyone in the GDA operating room almost gag. A pretty savage moment for Nolan right there. And two, I love how Mr. Sinclair rage quits when he sees that Nolan destroyed his creations. And then they spawn that huge kaijo to fight Nolan, which is a very cool part as well. And I have to say, I appreciate the fact that we can always see the flying camera bot 
through which Cecil, Debbie and the rest of the GDA team can see Nolan and talk to him. Very bad shows might forget to show the audience how they are able to communicate, but here it's always very clear, so good job. And the fight with the kaiju is awesome like I said. And then Mark comes in and helps his father, which raises the stakes of this fight a lot, because this thing might actually be able to stop Nolan, but it would then also kill Mark as well. So yeah, shit just got real pretty fast. And now it's about to get even better, with the Mauler twins reviving the immortal's corpse. And right before he awakes, we get some small hints about his past, which they didn't have to do, but they did. We see the origin of his powers and how he lived through hundreds of generations from the early ages of humanity to his death by Omni-Man's hands. It's a bit like Wolverine, only kind of amped up to 11 in terms of actual time. And then he wakes up and filled with rage, he just goes absolutely insane. So he flies straight to Nolan and they have an awesome fight with great animation and choreography. Really great stuff. And the immortal just goes crazy. He's so angry. And he does put up a pretty good challenge, but at the end, he of course dies. But right before, he still tries everything he can and almost stabs Nolan's eyes out before getting chopped in half. And Mark sees this, and we end on a great cliffhanger with Nolan slowly hovering to Mark, saying, Mark, we need to talk. Pretty freaking great episode. Episode 8. Well, here it is. Here's the final and also the best episode of the entire season. And the main reason why it's the best episode is that it focuses on Nolan, Debbie and Mark, which is the central and by far the most interesting aspect of the entire show. Before I start praising this episode, I need to talk about one thing that I find pretty strange and a bit stupid as well. It's the flashbacks where you see the Viltrumites fighting and killing each other until at the end only the strongest 50% of the species are left. And it's super chaotic and Hunger Games-like, but I don't think that this is the best way to artificially create natural selection to have only the strongest ones left. I mean, it does kinda make sense, but that's only when ignoring some very important variables. Think about it. The goal of this entire species massacre is to select the best Viltrumites to advance the species. You know, social Darwinism in a sense. But how can you guarantee that a very chaotic everyone versus everyone situation will give you that exact result? Just because one guy is killed by another, that doesn't mean that this guy has superior genes than the guy he killed. Plus, what if someone just got lucky, defeated only a few weak Viltrumites, but didn't get attacked by the other ones, and survived the entire battle until the 50% were dead? How exactly are they able to tell that the ones who survived this brutal selection process are the ones with the best genes for strength, health, intelligence, etc? I don't think by just throwing everyone in this huge battle and seeing which Viltrumites come out on top would carry that result. If their main goal is advancing and growing their empire throughout the entire universe, they would need more than just the strongest Viltrumites to do so. What about strategic planning? What about logistics, organization and stuff? Having only the strongest Viltrumites remain and the weak ones killed probably won't lead to the best combination of diversified expertises. I really don't get why they came up with this idea. And how did they even decide on this? What made them think that this was a good way to advance the species? Was everyone just fine with potentially losing their lives that lasts thousands of years just for that? What was their civilization like before that point? What led to this selection process? And who decided to go about it that way? Were they a direct democracy? Anarchy? Monarchy? 
Given what we know about how advanced their species is, compared to almost any other species in the universe, how did they not come up with a much better method to advance the species? We can see in the flashbacks how much of an advanced society they are, at least in terms of technology and infrastructure. Building all of that must have required some great collective effort and a very efficient political system. So why is the next logical step to this to just murder the weak 50% of the population? And besides, why exactly 50%? Was that the number they decided on before starting this global battle? Or did it just happen to be that half of the population was much weaker than the other one? And if the Viltrumites have such differing power levels, how would the super strong ones not have dominated society before that selection process in the first place? If we look at our species, this wouldn't work with humans. Because genetically, we aren't that different from one another in terms of power level. Only that, if we were to do this, then like 99% of men would only survive. Because men are just physically stronger than women. This doesn't seem to be the case for the Viltrumites though, so yeah. But the flashback makes it seem like there is a clear part of the Viltrum population that was just way superior to the rest. Which I can't really believe. But then again, maybe we will find out more about them in the following seasons. I hope so. Because these are Omni-Man's people. This is what he is. I'm sure the comics give way more information on their society and stuff, but given everything we know so far on basis of this show, these guys basically are just insanely strong, cold-blooded maniacs that somehow managed to create an almost perfect society before they decided to kill half their population for the sake of becoming a galactic empire? That's just silly. Also, how do they procreate? Because if they do it like humans, I cannot understand why Nolan is so apathetic about Mark now and when he was a kid. Wouldn't it be beneficial for the survival of your species to love your Viltrumite kid as a Viltrumite parent? This is, this is all so weird. Anyway, let's talk about the good stuff now. Everything concerning Nolan and Mark in this episode is pretty excellent. The emotional stakes are through the roof, and Mark's pain and shock over seeing his dad for what he really is was very impactful. This whole moment gave me very strong ego vibes from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, only that, compared to that one, the relationship between father and son is much stronger between Nolan and Mark. This whole episode is extremely brutal and gory, and downright apocalyptic, like the moment in the city and in the subway. The mental torture Mark goes through in this entire fight is pretty insane. The only small issue I have with this is that he should have acted a bit more paralyzed and traumatized during and also after the fight. And there's one other thing I'm also not a big fan of. It's the part where Nolan holds Mark in front of that train, and the train drives through them, killing all the passengers inside. This is ridiculous. It would never happen like this in real life. First off, why would the driver not immediately hit the brakes as soon as he sees them hovering in front of the train? And the much bigger problem for me, in the real world, the train would have never went straight through them. It would have collapsed with Nolan and Mark on impact and then would have just stopped. This scene is just here to be gory and shocking, but because this is the only thing it cares about, it disregards any sense of realism. The only thing I could think of when seeing that was just how unrealistic it was. And even if we were to accept that stuff, why the hell does Mark extend his arms and legs as the train is driving through them and all the passengers are being killed? It honestly looks like he's actively trying to kill more of them by doing this. Why not make yourself and your hitbox as small as possible so you can spare more lives? I don't get it. This is just stupid. Aside all that though, 
Mark's hopeless effort to save the people around him while Nolan is causing a complete apocalypse is very tragic to watch. I cannot imagine how Debbie feels while witnessing all of this. She must be in so much emotional agony. I really felt for her the entire episode. Another thing to point out are the very short moments of doubt and hesitation in Nolan's demeanor. It does a pretty good job at showing the weaker, more compassionate father side of him, which is weak, but still present within him. My personal favorite moment of the entire episode is right before the end of the fight. Nolan is beating him to a pulp, blood all over both of them. And as he's punching him again and again, it cuts to a flashback of Mark playing baseball with Debbie and Nolan watching him. First of all, the transition is very well done. And this flashback is the strongest representation of Nolan's warm and loving side. The match cut from young Mark's smiling face in the flashback to his totally destroyed and beat up face in the present is also great. And as Nolan is screaming at Mark, saying, everyone and everything you know will be gone. What will you have after 500 years? And then, with tears in his eyes, Mark answers, you dad, I'd still have you. And hearing that, Nolan stands up, realizing what he has just done to his son, that still loves him with everything he has. And as he flies into space, we see him cry. This is the single best moment in the entire season. Lots of emotional and heart-wrenching stuff. And the stylistic execution is also excellent. There are a few things that aren't that great, but the overall impact of this entire scene between Mark and his father, <laughs> it just works. And afterwards, we have a very nice montage of a pretty cool song as well. And we get a nice reunion between Amber and Mark, as all of our characters and the entire world slowly moves on from that traumatic, apocalyptic event. And there's the last scene in the season, the final conversation between Mark and that Cyclops guy Alan, and another montage, teasing some things that might be on the rise for the future seasons. One last tiny detail though I just have to mention, because yeah, that's just who I am, is the moment when Mark flies into space and meets Alan. As soon as he leaves Earth's orbit, his clothes melt away and reveal his costume underneath. But hold on a second, that doesn't make any sense. First of all, why the hell would he just evaporate his clothes like that? He could have just left them somewhere on the ground before flying off. Does he do this every time he flies into space? That would be a waste. And given that we see much more of his skin underneath his normal clothes when he's with Amber, Eve and William, right before flying away, it doesn't seem like he was even wearing the suit. Plus, if he actually was wearing the suit, why the hell was he wearing it in this specific situation? Remember, he went from the GDA hospital straight back to home with his mom. And before that, he even told C-Cell that he'd like to chill a bit, process everything, before maybe stepping back into the superhero business. So from that point, there's no conceivable reason for him to be wearing the suit when hanging out with his friends. So as he's home, Amber visits him, followed by William and Eve, and then they go to that food place. Now, at which point did Mark put on his super suit exactly? Did he put it on right before they went out? In which case, for what reason? Did he put it on when he was still at the GDA? In which case, why not just take it with you in a bag or something? Looking at all that, there's no way he could have been wearing the suit in that scenario. It's pretty strange. Also, it must be an absolute pain in the ass wearing the suit under your normal clothes all the time. And I know this is one of the normal superhero cliches, but I think it's dumb in general. And with Mark's suit, it's even worse. 
because from what we are shown, he keeps his face mask at the back of his neck, like a hood, underneath his normal clothes. This must be so freaking uncomfortable. But besides all that nitpicky stuff, this episode is just amazing. Okay, so now that we're done covering all the episodes, let's take a look at the story. I must say, I find it pretty interesting. That being the main conflict and relationship between Mark, Nolan and Debbie, plus the other characters that are more involved in that part of the story, like Cecil and Damien Darkblood. The suspense and drama of everything surrounding the main storyline is very well done. And the way we are slowly shown more and more of Omni-Man's dark side until he just completely snaps at the end is awesome. Also including Mark and Debbie, of course. In comparison to that, though, the additional plot points, like the Mauler twins, the stuff with Titan and Machinette and Robot's plotline, don't even come close to that level. But there's also some good stuff in there. The Mauler twins, I think, are mostly boring. Their entire back and forth about which one of them is the original isn't funny at all. And the only true impact on the story they have is creating that new human body for Robot, which itself is its own subplot, and two, reviving the Immortal, who then goes into a frenzy and fights Omni-Man towards the end, but he also just gets killed in the end. And the only impact this has is that Mark sees what kind of a monster his father is when he kills the Immortal, but using that connection to praise the Mauler Twins subplot would be a huge stretch. Honestly, these guys are just... there. Whenever the show cut to those two doing stuff, my interest was almost non-existent, especially when they were on their own. That one very small Mars plotline is basically just one episode. It was kinda meh, I guess. Like I said, it's pretty funny to me, and what happened to that one astronaut is still left up in the air, so it might or might not be story relevant in the end. But yeah, besides that, this is just straight up filler. The Titan subplot is much better, I think. I really like Titan's character, and I'm pretty interested in where they're going to take him next. In terms of storytelling, there's not a lot of praiseworthy things in this subplot. However, I really like that Mark learns to care about small people as well, not just always focusing on aliens trying to destroy the world. Machine Head is also a very fun character, and this subplot blesses us with a fantastic and massive fight sequence at the end. This is clearly one of the better subplots. And it's my personal favorite. I think the entire plot with Mark and Amber as a couple is done fairly well, although I do not understand some of the choices Amber made and the actions she took considering she knew that Mark was a superhero. I think there are some big issues that came with her revealing that she already knew about Mark's secret identity for a long time. And then there's also the whole thing with William and Rick, which only lasts one episode, but still feels a bit shoehorned in and I think it only serves the purpose of making William aware of Mark, um, you know, being a superhero. Aside from that, it's pretty much all filler. And then there's of course the whole thing with Robot trying to create the children body of Rex to continue to live in, which I have pretty mixed feelings on. I think Robot was a great character at first, and I really liked him, but then after that whole thing with the cloning, I felt very differently about his character. Again, all that was just filler. And in a first season of a show with only 8 episodes, I don't think this is all that great. I think all these plotlines do have their place in that they help establish the world and the supporting characters and stuff. And I know the comic is like super huge and of course they need to establish, you know, a lot of players of the world already and stuff. But that doesn't change the fact that they aren't nearly as interesting as all the stuff concerning Omni-Man, 
the Viltrumites, and his relationship to Mark and Debbie. And that main plotline develops very incrementally and slowly over the course of the season, which is again a great way to build up suspense, and then only really comes to fruition in the final two episodes. That's why those episodes are also the best ones out of the entire season. I do not have a final verdict on whether they should have included more stuff concerning Omni-Man, because I think they intentionally left that aspect pretty vague to develop a bit more in the following seasons, which I would greatly appreciate, but I feel like some of the side plot lines simply could have been executed way better, as opposed to feeling very much like filler content. So let's talk about the characters, and yeah, just like I did with the Cuphead bosses, I'll also do a tier list for all the Invincible characters. So let's start with Mark, slash Invincible. To me, he's a pretty basic protagonist character. He cares about his loved ones, is very kind, a little socially awkward, and wants to help as many people as he can. At the start, he's your typical high school 17-year-old, and once he gets his powers, as expected, he's very headstrong and naive about it at first, he throws himself into any problem or threat he comes across, and what I really like about his experience as a superhero is that he gets beat up and injured in so many of these fights. It helps ground his character and his plot armor, because he doesn't feel invincible at all, no pun intended, and yeah, he straight up almost dies in multiple of his fights. I also think the way he carries himself as a superhero, being a little humorous and easy with it, is pretty nice. And he very clearly struggles a lot with balancing his personal life and his duties as a superhero, which Nolan also talks to him about. However, one thing I really do not like about him is his immediate apathy towards being a superhero after getting dumped by Amber. In that one conversation with Eve, I really did not understand his arguments at all. It even felt a bit out of character to me, because he does a lot of good as a hero. Even though he gets beat up, he clearly sees the fruits of his actions. So why does he suddenly not want to do any of that and just quit? Dude, I get you're upset about Amber, but this mindset is just out of character for you. During this temporary phase of him, both William and Eve have a way more rational approach to his situation than he does. And after a few moments, he's back again trying to save people. So why even have this entire hassle about not wanting to be a hero anymore when he just quickly goes back to being a hero again? Besides that, however, I don't have any issues with his character per se, especially when looking at his growth throughout these 8 episodes, after the whole traumatic thing with Nolan. Looking at the state his character is in at the end of the season, I'm very optimistic on what's to come next, and how he will keep developing and growing in future seasons. Mark, he's an A-tier character. So, now getting to Debbie, Mark's mom. I really like her. She's a pretty great mom. Every interaction she has with Mark is really great. And although I'm not a fan of the dialogue writing in many scenes, the things she says and the way she carries herself is just very likable and admirable in my eyes. My favorite moments of her is the one in the first episode at night, where she tells Mark to stop training and come inside. He refuses and says, make me. And she responds with, does that make you feel strong? To know I can't physically make you do something? Pretty great answer. There's also the time where she encourages Mark to go on that Mars mission, because it's great to keep people safe, and that many people will tell him how to use his powers, but that at the end, it's his decision to make, and that he needs to decide what kind of hero he wants to be. Which is just a great message, and a very healthy mindset for a parent to have. It's also totally in contrast with Nolan, who always tells Mark that he needs to focus on bigger things, and that such little issues are beneath him. And the one time at the dinner table, 
where she goes against Nolan's opinion on helping the community with defeating Machine Head. She tells Mark that helping someone is never beneath him, again reinforcing the ideal of using his powers to help as many people as he can. In fact, in many aspects, she does remind me a lot of Aunt May in Spider-Man No Way Home. And even aside from her virtuous personality, the mental suffering she experiences, which keeps growing with each episode, adds another layer to her character that I really enjoy. Debbie goes through her own small arc concerning her acknowledgement of the true dark side of her husband, and it's pretty great. Every time the show cuts to her, I was immediately invested, and I think most people can really empathize with her. All around, she's a very nice piece of the series, and even though she doesn't have a huge impact on the plot overall, she for sure makes the dynamic between Mark and Nolan much more emotionally resonant. She's an A-tier character as well. Now we get to Nolan. Slash Omni-Man. Well, he's the best character in the entire show. And this mainly stems from his mysterious nature. And the fact that he is a cold, brutal creature of destruction. But on the other side, the time he spent on Earth softened him for things like love, affection and empathy. Even though it's only a small spark, I mean, he spent the vast majority of his life under his own people, who strongly conditioned him into the person we come to see in this season. But what I really appreciate is that just these couple of decades on Earth, and the personal time he spent with Debbie and Mark, opened a very different, more compassionate and kind part of him. I think some people really overhype the complexity of his character though. Don't get me wrong, I do really like him, but he's not super well written. He's a three-dimensional character who feels conflicted between his duty and the affection he developed towards his family. He's really not all that complex. He firmly believes that the Viltrum Empire is designed to become the absolute force of the universe, and whenever Mark is considering to help people or go on a mission, Nolan always tells him that, as a Viltrumite, such things are beneath him. And we've got the whole berserker element to his personality, where he becomes this completely apathetic, savage and merciless killing machine, which gives us some of the best scenes in the entire show. And J.K. Simmons' performance as Nolan is also great. I don't have anything else to say honestly, he's a pretty damn good character. Plus, his design is very iconic and just awesome. I really love his mustache, and actually, the first time I saw a picture of him, without having seen the show or even heard of the show, I thought, oh, so this is a superhero version of J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man, right? Not kidding, that was actually what I thought. So yeah, anyway, Omni-Man, S-tier. Adam Eve, she's pretty cool I think. The only thing I really have no idea about is why the hell she was dating Rex for so freaking long. Seeing how reasonable and confident she is, I'm very puzzled by their relationship. However, aside from that, I think she's a great person. She serves her role in the teen team pretty well, and if I understand her powers correctly, she's pretty freaking OP. Almost like a watered-down version of Doctor Strange. And soon, she grows disliking the regular way of being a superhero in this world, so she decides to drop her old superhero identity and start helping people independently, which is awesome. Throughout the season, all her conversations make Eve seem like a very reasonable and intelligent person, besides that thing with Rex. And I think overall, they did a pretty good job at giving her her own small arc, going against the status quo and doing that whole superhero thing on her own way, which is great. I like the fact that she decides to do things her own way. In the plot, she mainly functions as Mark's introduction into being a superhero, and also sometimes as a general voice of reason, like in episode 7 for example, the only exception being that she tells Mark 
that he was an asshole to Amber, which is just straight up wrong. And aside from rejecting her parents and her previous way of handling things, there is not a whole lot of stuff for her to do in this season, which is totally fine, because she's just a supporting character. But given what we've seen of her so far, she's not that deep of a character just yet. So I'm putting her in B tier right now, mainly because of the connections and relationships she has. And the stuff she's dealing with in her own story just doesn't hit the same heights as the other stuff, I think. Her design is pretty cool, though. William. William is alright. He's a bit funny, his interactions with most other characters are pretty entertaining, though I don't think of him as a comedic character. I'd say that he has a very distinct personality, which makes the scenes that he's in just a bit more interesting to watch. It's nothing major, just a tiny thing to appreciate. He's also not your generic best friend of the superhero, so yeah, that's also something. That's the only positive thing I can really say about his character, because he's not all that relevant in the story besides episode 6, which also is the worst episode of the entire season. And just like Eve, he thinks that Mark was a terrible boyfriend to Amber, which again is just false. His entire relationship with Rick also wasn't that engaging, although we do see that even if he's physically very weak, he's got a lot of courage. For example, when he distracts the cyborg soldier from killing Rick, and when he goes into the dark sewers just to look for him, even though it's clearly very dangerous down there. I like him, but he doesn't really develop as a character in any way. The story also doesn't require that, but this makes him one of the lesser developed characters. I'm putting him in... Hmm, C tier. Now we get to the most controversial character in the entire show, Amber. And to be honest, I don't think she's that terrible. Overall, she's just a very selfless, virtuous and respectable person. She's confident, stands up for herself and Mark against that douche in school, and she helps to feed the homeless, knows every one of their names and so on. She's a pretty great person overall. However, there is one very big issue with her character. Her reaction to Mark telling her about his superhero identity. This is completely irrational on her part. The only reason she dumps him is because he didn't tell her about his secret identity for many months. But first of all, he was still spending time with her and made many obvious signs that he's serious about their relationship. Amber knows that Mark loves her, and she also does I'd assume. So why on earth is she so upset about him always lying to her when it came to his superhero identity? Unlike most people, I can kind of get behind Amber's thought process, or at least I can understand why she would feel frustrated that Mark doesn't tell her. It's partially about trust, but I think it's also annoyance. Think about it. If your partner was hiding something from you, that you already knew for many weeks, but every time you both spend time together, your partner just keeps finding excuses not to talk about it and keeps lying to you. Of course you would feel a bit betrayed. If you were to look at it in a vacuum, Amber's reaction does make sense. But how she decides to act on that annoyance is just a bit much. Considering how well their relationship went so far, and the fact that Mark tries his best to help people and also spend time with her, I really do not understand her decision to dump him right here. From all we know about her, she's a very intelligent and reasonable person, so she should be aware of Mark's commitment to their relationship. But no, I guess she just can't deal with a liar, no matter the circumstances. She also doesn't undergo any significant character development, which I don't have a huge problem with, but I think when she took him back, she should have apologized to Mark for being so stubborn. If it wasn't for that weird reaction to Mark telling her that he's invincible, she would be a B, maybe even an A tier character. But unfortunately, she's a C tier character. It's truly a bummer, because before their breakup, I really liked her, 
and very much enjoyed all the scenes they had together. And I still like her. Who knows? Maybe she'll be a much better character in the next season. I'm pretty sure she will be. It would be strange if the writers mess her up like that again. Cecil. Cecil's awesome, man. I love his always serious and a bit tired demeanor. His voice actor is also great. He's a very calculated and cold person, but he's also highly intelligent and rational. I really appreciate that he puts the safety of the world at the very top of his priorities at all times, and every decision he makes reinforces that principle of his. Again, his voice, man. <laughs> it's so good. It gives him a strong presence in every scene he's in. It's pretty cool. I also like his teleportation gimmick, and that final conversation with Nolan is just very good. His dialogue is pretty well written, and coupled with his amazing voice, it just works. From the beginning, he knew that Nolan killed the Guardians. And if you watch the show again, you can clearly tell that he did. And this makes re-watching all of his scenes with that knowledge even cooler, I think. This doesn't give him any extra points in terms of character, but I still think it's cool. And although he's not super deep or complex, he's for sure one of my personal favorites. A-tier. Robot. The early robot I like quite a bit. He delivers some very humorous lines at points, and his calm, factual, and of course robotic behavior works very well with the rest of the Guardians. I also like his design, the strong orange and the green eyes. It's very eye-catching for sure. And he was very mysterious in the first episodes. You didn't really know what he was up to, and that ambiguous factor was super awesome to me. Because you knew that he was a good guy, and that he was concerned with helping people, but on the other side, he freed the Mauler twins from prison. So I personally was extremely curious what he was up to. I would have loved it if they kept the reveal of his plan and his real self for the next season. The resolution to his plotline came a bit too fast for my liking. It seems like his character doesn't have a lot of room to grow from here. Plus, I think the final reveal would have been much more resonant if we got to know Robert a bit more for a longer period of time. Yeah, Robert's awesome. B-tier. So we now get to Rudolf Rudy Connors, which is the new version of Robot. And as soon as Robot became this dude, I pretty much tapped out. I really don't like the real version of Robot. I think the story of how he becomes this new version of himself is pretty good actually. The entire cloning thing is a very nice idea. It's just a shame that it was a little rushed, at least to me. However, what I do not like at all is the physical appearance of Rudolph. He looks so stupid, and his voice also doesn't fit his background at all. I can't quite put my finger on the reason why I cannot stand him, but he's just off. I'm basically of the same opinion as Monster Girl and all the other Guardians. It was incredibly naive for him to think that they would easily be super supportive of what he did. And I just missed the old robot. He made a great addition to the team, both in terms of appearance and diversity of characters. And now we have this weird 11-year-old toddler. I really don't like that at all, I'm sorry. D-tier. Fuck that guy. Rex. Rex is the funniest character in the whole show. He's super chaotic and always a bit aggressive. I think his kinda goofy and not that badass design also fits very well with his entire attitude and role within the group. He's a huge edgelord, cursing all the time and either being angry or jokey. I especially like him when he's very angry around other people, because he acts so extraordinary in many scenes. He seems to be in his own little world for 80% of the time. It's just fun seeing him around all these other characters acting like a complete nuthead. His abilities are kind of whatever, they're not all that special or interesting, except for the fireworks that he can create, which are pretty neat. Not much else to say here, we're gonna put him in B tier. So we get to duplicate, and I really don't have much to say about her at all. 
She seems very likable and nice most times. Although there's also that thing with Rex, which was just a total dick move. Pun intended. Seriously, I don't get why she would go through with that. That said, we really don't know a whole lot about her character. So who knows, maybe she would be okay doing something like this? I mean, she apparently is, so... The coolest thing about her is how seamless she can create duplicates of herself. She's very fun to watch in many of these fight scenes. Her design is alright, certainly not bland or uninspired, but also not particularly amazing. I value personality and depth much more than just visual appeal and such, so she only gets a C tier rating, simply because, other than her cool powers, there's not much else. So we get to Monster Girl. Monster Girl is pretty cool. I think the concept of her power is very interesting and unique. She's kinda like a kid version of the Hulk, with some minor differences. The biggest one being that she can control when to transform, and while she's transformed, she's also completely level-headed and can talk and think normally. Aside from that, there is not that much of stuff to talk about. Her design is pretty bland, both her normal look and her monster look, but the contrast between the two is what makes it work very well. Like I said, I really don't enjoy her weird relationship thing with Rudolph, but that's mainly his fault and not hers. I can imagine that she's most likely at the top of the Guardians in terms of power level. She wasn't super game-changing in that one fight in episode 5, but that's because that lion-beast creature was just way too powerful for all of them. Monster Girl will most likely have to drop her superhero role at some point, cause if she just continues transforming herself again and again, she'll eventually end up a toddler and then just like a baby, and then an infant, and then she'll just, like, disappear or something? That would actually be pretty funny, but also kind of fucked up. Hmm. We'll see what they do with her. Maybe they'll invent some bullshit cure for her ability or whatever. That would be pretty lame. Who knows? If we get to know her more in the next seasons, then I will gladly put her in B tier. But I think C tier is good for now. Shrinking Ray. She's kind of whatever, honestly. I don't have any strong opinions on her. Her design is fine. Her ability is probably the coolest part, but besides that, she gets the least amount of development, interactions, and screen time from all of the Guardians. And from the few lines of dialogue we get from her, I didn't get any unique impressions or anything. Just that she likes working out, I guess? Yeah, C tier. I'd almost put her in D tier, but just because she's so bland. Still, I think she's fine. I don't think she's as bad as Rudolph, who I actually have a problem with. So yeah. Next we have Black Samson. I really like this guy. He has much more experience than the rest of the new Guardians, because he was a formal member of the original Guardians of the Globe. And you can tell, the things he says regarding teamwork and certain principles that a hero should have, I find pretty cool. He strikes me as a very virtuous and strong-willed person that follows his own principles and doesn't deviate from his path. At first, he thinks of all the new members as immature and naive, but as they spend more time together as a team, he grows to like all of them. I'd love to be friends with this guy. His power is not really explored, because he only gets them back after that big fight in episode 5, but his design is pretty cool. Gold just fits super well with black skin for some reason. It looks great. B tier for Black Samson. Damien Darkblood. He is so freaking cool. Every scene that's dedicated to him is just awesome. He's so different from the rest of the characters, and the fact that he's a demon detective from hell? Come on, that's just a dope concept. And he's very mysterious too. He appears and disappears whenever he wants to, and doesn't speak normally, which makes him and his aura even more unique. 
I really appreciate all the different characteristics and elements they put in this character, from his motivation of seeking redemption for his soul by solving mysteries for the human worlds, to the cold atmosphere he creates around him. It's very well done. I would have loved a subplot of him trying to figure out this case to the end, like sort of a mini detective arc. That would have been great. I'm very glad that he's part of this season. His scenes are all great, like I said, it's he's a dope character. A tier character. He's not nearly as developed as someone like Adam E, for example, but what we are given of him is enough to see how cool of a character he is. Art Rosenbaum? Not much to say about him. He's the best buddy of Nolan, and he makes the suits for all the superheroes. He seems to be a nice guy, but the main thing that makes him work is that one scene where he hangs out with Nolan on the roof and they drink some beers. That's a pretty good scene. And also the one with Debbie in the final episode I like quite a bit. But aside from his relationship to the Graysons, there's like almost nothing to say. And even that connection isn't fleshed out that extremely well. It's still fine, but I'll put him in C tier. Alan the Alien. Aw, this guy is so wholesome. He only has two scenes dedicated to him, but he comes off as the nicest guy ever in both of them. I also love Cyclops, so I really like his look. Alan is just a great guy. I'd love to hang out with him sometime. He's pretty great. A tier, easy. I know we know almost nothing about him, but this is just my personal bias slipping in, cause he's just such an awesome guy. So now we get to all of the villains, starting with the Mauler twins. The Mauler twins are pretty cool overall. They're your basic meanie heads, very grumpy and evil and stuff. Yeah, basic stuff. The best thing about them is their dynamic and how they interact with each other. It makes for some pretty entertaining moments, but besides that, they don't have a lot going for them. They're not particularly strong for superhero standards. They don't have a great motivation to do anything. Their first goal is to kill the president, for some reason. I have no idea if they are intrinsically motivated or if they were just paid to do that. And their second motivation is to revive the immortal and control him so that they can take over the world, I guess? I think the coolest part, apart from their back and forth, is their design and their voice actor, who does a pretty good job. I'm gonna put them in B tier. Titan. Titan is such a great character. Everything revolving around him is so good. That he doesn't enjoy working for Machine Head, and isn't just your typical evil for the sake of evil villain. That he spares as many lives as possible, as long as it doesn't inhibit him from finishing his job. That he has a reasonable and totally understandable motivation for what he does, even though he doesn't enjoy causing all that distress. The fact that he functions as a sort of gateway for us to get to know the poorer people in the world and what those people are dealing with is very nice. And his team up with Mark in episode 5 is pretty great. I also really like both his design and his voice. I'm very excited about what he's going to do next, now that he's the new crime boss of his city. Great fucking character. A tier. Machine Head. This is a very fun character. He's got that great combination of arrogance and goofiness, which is elevated even more by his ridiculous autotune voice. From the few lines of dialogue we're given, it paints a very clear picture of his personality. He's not a very deep character at all, but I think in terms of behavior and demeanor, he is much better than say the Mauler twins or many other villains in this show. Pretty funny character. All of his scenes are very fun to watch. The design is very cool as well. And what I really like about him is that he doesn't fulfill the typical cliche crime boss stereotype. He cannot fight for himself but he believes that he's untouchable because of his financial power. And that's where his overly confident behavior comes from. I'm not sure if we will see more of him in the next seasons, but I'm still very happy with what we got from him in this season. 
B tier. So let's talk about Slash, or the leader of the Flaxons. I'm gonna put him in D tier. Yeah, I don't think I need to explain myself for this one. This dude is just super boring. He wants to take over slash destroy Earth with all of his goons, and he fails three separate times. His design is whatever. I guess his coolest look was that final one with the huge mech suit. I just hate the Flaxons. They are so uninspired and boring. And Slash is also just as boring as them. Very one-dimensional, just an evil green alien boy. Just bad, just bad. D tier for sure. So we get to Dr. Zeismik. I also think this guy is pretty bland. His design does look alright, and his powers are pretty cool. Probably the best part of his entire character. All his fight scenes look pretty cool as well. But he's just a crazy scientist. That's it. I'm also not all that excited about what he's up to in the next seasons. I mean, we saw him at the end controlling these weird lava golems. So yeah, not a whole lot of praise here. I'm gonna put him in C tier. So, Battle Beast. This dude is pretty badass. I mean, he almost single-handedly defeats Invincible, Titan, and the Guardians of the Globe. It's insane. And his voice is also great. I'm a big fan of strong and capable beings that actively look for tough opponents to have a cool fight with. It's a thing I've always appreciated when a character had that aspect to him. I also think his design is quite cool. It's not all that aesthetic, but it's surely unique. That being said, I hope that Mark eventually gets his second chance to fight this guy, and that he will mess him up. He goes in C tier. Even though he's cool, he's also just not very present. So yeah. He might get into B tier, depending on how he develops in the next seasons. Yeah. Mr. Sinclair. This guy's a complete weirdo. He's obsessed with fixing humanity's flaws, and so he creates these cyborg abominations? What? This is your idea of human perfection? A very dumb and robotic soldier that is just super strong? That's it? What about our intelligence and our abilities to work together? Was it a big flaw of humanity that we have complex thoughts and that we can achieve amazing feats as a collective? This guy is just crazy for the sake of crazy. How would an actual scientist come up with such a stupid conclusion and devote his entire life to turn humans into these lifeless cyborg soldiers? Like, what's your end goal here? What are you trying to do? This guy is just a huge joke in my eyes. His whole goal is pretty illogical. I genuinely don't understand how he got to that conclusion about humanity, even if he's supposed to be crazy. This is just a bad and stupid motivation. He's also a major part of the worst episode of this first season. So I think D tier is fine, actually. I don't think he's better than Slash. At least Slash doesn't have any holes within his motivation and he's just a stupid alien guy who wants to take over Earth. So now we move on to the artistic stuff. First we'll talk about the animation. To be completely transparent, I do not like the animation style that much. It's very simple and very flat at many points, which is expected since the budget for it wasn't too high to make the animations super detailed and aesthetic. In all of the action and fight scenes, I think the animation works much better because the choreography makes the animation much more interesting and dynamic, also in terms of cinematography. However, I also found that the animation was very inconsistent. In normal dialogue scenes, it looks super flat and at points just straight up bad. But in the fights, it looks much better, which I think is a very good thing, because I'd rather have the action scenes be of higher quality than the less important stuff. But it's still something to note. Another thing I find a bit weird is how chill all the superheroes are with not hiding their identities all that much. I mean, look at Adam, Eve and Omni-Man. They don't have any masks and just casually hang out with other people. Shouldn't you make it a bit more unclear for the people around you? 
I mean, heroes in this world are full-on A-list celebrities, and I don't think that you can just rely on the top-down effect of people not noticing that they're talking to a superhero just because they don't expect them to hang out there. This psychological effect will surely prevent some of that, but I don't think they should rely on that and be a bit more careful about their secret identity. I also would like to know if there are any other heroes fighting threats in other countries of the world. Given how many threats seem to pop up all the time, there should be way more heroes around. Maybe we'll get to see some more of them in later seasons? Who knows. So the music um, is actually quite good. I think the best instance of good music is the final fight with Omni-Man and the first time Mark uses his flying powers at night. I wouldn't say the soundtrack is that great, but it's certainly not bad either. And there are some tracks that are pretty good. Looking at sound design, like I said, the fighting, the gore and the abilities are very well done. Many great instances of very good sound design. So my final score for this very first season of Invincible is a 6 out of 10. Some pretty great things, some bad ones as well. Everything revolving around Nolan, Mark and Debbie is definitely the best part. And all the rest, unfortunately, seems a bit like filler. Of course it serves to develop the world and its characters, but all of these subplots range greatly in terms of quality, and most of it isn't all that good. Still, there's a lot to like about this season, and if you like that kind of superhero stuff, I'd encourage you to give Invincible a watch. Although you've probably already done that. I hope so. It doesn't take very long to watch, like I said, I watched it in three days. And for all the mediocre and downright bad stuff in it, the highs surely make up for that. For the YouTube watchers, feel free to leave all your thoughts about this show in the comments. I'm very interested in what you guys think. Um, and yeah, that's been it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you in the next one.